0: Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is David Friedman. David, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide.
1: Oh, Totally my pleasure, Kevin. Great to be with you.
0: So it's great on our little pre-chat here we had right before I hit the big record button. And it's amazing how in this massive world we live in of 7.2 billion people that we would know people and have relatives that literally lived a half a mile from each other. So it, it is an amazing, amazing story to catch up on. But David, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so I live in southern New Jersey. It's where I grew up. And my background is that I spent 27 years building an employee benefits consulting company. And I grew that company from a couple of people to over hundred people. And during the years that I was growing that company, we were very, very successful in almost every way you can look at. And, but I would tell you that the, the foundation of all of our success, practically all of it, was based on the culture that we had built in the company. And as the CEO of the company, I did a lot of things in a very intentional way to make that happen. We eventually ended up selling the company to a large multi-billion dollar publicly held company. I worked for a couple of years there running our company as a division of this much bigger entity. Mm -hmm. And then back in 2010, I retired from that industry. And I ended up writing a book about the things that we had done that made us so successful. And that book was called Fundamentally Different. And I wrote that book, I'm always honest about this Kevin, I wrote that book as a closure step, as a way of wrapping up my old career in a nice bow so I could put it behind me and we could do, I could go on and do something totally and completely different. And little did I know it wasn't gonna quite work out that way and people started reading the book and they got a lot of value from it. And what ended up happening, which was kind of the signature event is uh, as people read it, people started asking me if I would come to speak to their groups, typically CEO groups, about the things that I had written about. And as people heard me speak, people said, hey, you know, that's pretty interesting. Could I hire you to help me do that in my company? And the next thing I knew, I got very unretired and I was traveling around the country helping businesses. um, And since that time, I've done, this morning I did my 542nd workshop on this material. So I've been around the country, speaking to thousands and thousands of CEOs. I've written three books on this material. I've built another company, High Performing Culture and Wise, that brings this process that I created to people. And it's just been game changing for people. Um, but it's very simple.
0: Well, you know, you, you did, is like the cardinal sin of introductions. You did such a <laughs> thorough job of introducing yourself. <laughs> That you caught you, I had about ten questions going on in my mind as you were, and I'm, I'm, now I'm going to have to remember them as we we chat about them. But you touched on something that's that is really interesting to me with uh, like your transition from your first company. Mm. So you know we've had some prior guests that have that have you know had the the pleasure or the blessing of an exit, and mm-hmm. you know either stayed on to transition or you know kind of phased out pretty quickly. But t- Walk us through the day, You know, the Friday that you sign and the the Monday that you come back in and you're like, I'm actually an employee of my previous company. So walk us through the
1: feeling of that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I would say there was a key moment many, a number of months before that. And the moment, and I think all business owners go through this. And the moment was when I had this recognition that what I had built was an asset. And when I say that, what I mean by that, the reason that's significant is as soon as you understand that your company is an asset, no different than a house or money or anything else, the implication of that is that there's a good chance that someday you're gonna sell that asset. and, and, And the question then simply becomes, well, when, to whom, under what circumstances right. and for what amount? Right. But it's an asset to be sold at some point. It, you mean it's, it's not, not a child? It's yes. not. It's not it a is, family it member.
0: Isn't. It's not. It really a, isn't. It's not a that, treasure possession nope. that you have birthed.
1: <laughs> that's exactly it. it and it, exactly. that's a really important understanding. And that doesn't mean, you know, to, for your listeners' sake, saying that it's an asset doesn't mean. I don't care about the people mm-hmm. or I don't have any emotional attachment to it. it. doesn't mean any of that at all. So I don't say that in a like hard edged, cutthroat kind of way, but it is an asset. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you accept that, you're gonna sell this someday. And so you don't spend a lot of time. I didn't spend a lot of time after that, when I recognized that, you know, thinking, oh my God, I could never do this. Sure. Um, sure. And so when I understood that and I made the decision that the time was right And I would say for me, and and this may or may not be similar to other guests of yours, for me, I never intended to spend my life selling insurance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like who grows up saying, man, if I could get into the insurance business, that would be my dream someday. Like who wants to do that? And so I was always kind of honest about the fact that I never even liked it. Mm -hmm. What I liked, I liked, I loved our company. We built a fantastic company with amazing people. And oh, by the way, coincidentally, the industry happened to be insurance and employee benefits. I mean, that was my, that'd
0: be my question. Yes. I mean, does it matter? I mean, if you're making widgets, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered. Matter. And so, it doesn't I mean, matter. At
1: that, at that stage. It, so. it doesn't. And so I think because I never saw myself spending the rest of my life in that industry, right, right. it wasn't hard for me to let go of that. Uh, I realized that that wasn't my future. Um, and so I think I had a, to a great extent, I had accomplished all that I was interested in accomplishing at that point. I was always much more interested in, in leadership and in organizational dynamics mm-hmm. and how do you build an, an amazing organization? That was way more interesting to me than insurance. Yeah. I, was, I, was yeah. a, I was a philosophy major at William & Mary. Um, <laughs> and so my background is more philosophical. So I was always more interested in that. So to answer your question, when it came time to leave it was like, I'm ready to leave. It's time yeah. to move on. It's Did ready. you know how
0: long you're going to be there i mean when you sold the company does was the contract like um, okay yeah, i'm going to spend 24 months i'm spending 18 months to transition yeah, and
1: sort of <laughs> so that the answer to that, that the reason i say sort of is i had a three-year contract um the acquirer the acquirer actually hoped and expected that i would stick around for the rest of my career and mm. many of their acquisitions do that that, right. that they're bringing in people who will grow within the larger organization. Mm-hmm. And they had that hope for me. I went into it open to that possibility, but doubting that given that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in that industry. right? And so right. I realized within a year that I don't want to do this anymore. And it wasn't anything to do with them, them being the acquirer, they were good people. So it's not like they came in and screwed up our company. Good people. I just don't wanna be in this business anymore. Right. So what ended up happening actually is I went to them and I said, look, I'm gonna leave at the end of the three years that I agreed to, but we could do this in a couple different ways. Wouldn't it be a better idea if I left earlier <laughs> and I could, I could, we could name my successor, I could coach and mentor him so that there's a nice smooth transition. And then I could leave earlier and you don't have to pay me anymore and you save budget dollars. Isn't that a better plan? So yeah. once they got once they accepted the fact that I wasn't going to spend the, mes- the rest of my career there, I was done in a little less than two years of my three years. Plus, track. they
0: don't have a lame duck, you know, division head either that that is like, yeah, it's you know, not going going everybody. into work and thinking, Okay, what's next? I'm actually googling. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not healthy for the organization
1: here. for anybody. Yeah. So once you accept that my plan to exit sooner was a smarter plan for everybody.
0: Right, right. So let's go back to your first company and you said the the company really was successful because of the culture that was built yeah outline that culture in like four bullet points or five bullet points i mean did you have like here's the five pillars of our culture that we are going to build around you know just walk us through those real quick real quickly
1: yeah so so to do that i'll 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 try to do that but as we talk more understanding how what i teach today Mm -hmm. what I teach today is based on what we did. So we practiced what I call a set of fundamentals. So fundamentals are behaviors that we teach. And I'll explain more of this later in our discussion. But fundamentals are are a set of behaviors that I created for our company and that we taught. And we focused on one fundamental every week. And we cycle through them week after week after week, doing a series of activities around them. And so the creation of this concept of what I call fundamentals was really the signature of my career. And it's really what led to our success. And that's what I wrote the first book about. And that's what launched all this other stuff. And that's what I teach people today.
0: So it's a, it's a great segue. So yes. kind of walk us through those, you know, yeah. the, what less we can come up to modern day time and, and yes. you're doing a presentation, kind of walk us through the, the basic framework of what you teach yeah.
1: today. So, so the first thing I would say, Kevin, is that if we understand that the culture in any organization, I don't care whether it's a company, a sports team, a family, a church group, whatever, that the culture has an enormous influence over everything that happens. And if we understand that, the implication of that to me is that as leaders, if we had a way to be more systematic about creating that culture, instead of just hoping it's gonna work out, That would be a smart thing to do. And that's what I teach people how to do. Now, the way that I teach people to do it is I organize the steps that it takes to be really systematic. Because my point of view is you should be as systematic about your culture as you are about your sales, operations, finance, and every other part of the company. Mm -hmm. So the way to do that, I organize the steps around a framework that I call the eight-step framework. Eight different things. You do these eight things. This is how you do it. But if we really cut to the chase, there are two of the steps that probably account for 90% of the impact. And those two things are as follows. The first is, and and they're very simple, is that you've got to define in really clear terms exactly what you want your culture to be, because you can't create it if you don't know what you're trying to create. Now, that sounds simple, except most companies don't do it well. So most companies and most of your listeners are in companies where they have the typical vision, mission, values, and it sounds great and it looks wonderful on the website and it's mostly a bunch of fluff and doesn't really mean much. And it's hard to operationalize, it's just, it's just too generic. I make a really big deal about the difference between what I call values and what I call behaviors. And the difference is really important. It's not just semantic. So a value is an abstract concept, quality, integrity, loyalty, respect, et cetera. A behavior is an action, something people do. So some of the behaviors I teach in my own company are things like honor commitments, practice blameless problem solving, be a fanatic about response time. These are actions. And so a value is an idea, a behavior is an action. The reason that that distinction is relevant is that because the values tend to be so abstract, they mean too many different things to different people and they become very difficult to operationalize. What you mean by respect is different than what I mean by respect. And so sure. it's hard to coach people about their values. Right. Behaviors, because their actions, you can teach and coach and guide and give people feedback about. So the first step is to define in really clear terms the behaviors that the leader says, if our people did these things consistently, watch out, we'd be amazing. And, uh, and those, are, those behaviors, my nomenclature for that is I call them fundamentals. So the fundamentals I was referring to before, that's the list of behaviors that we say, this is what we want our culture to be. Now, the second step is really the game changer. And again, this is very simple. The second step is a concept that I call creating rituals. So a ritual is some kind of a routine, a habit. You go to a ball game, we do the national anthem. You're, Wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth. They're just routines. And the reason that rituals are so important to success is that most people, and therefore most companies, stink at sticking with things. Mm -hmm. We start that diet and exercise program that doesn't last. We roll out the program at work that doesn't last. People stink at it. When something becomes a ritual, it's no longer difficult to do. You don't struggle to brush your teeth in the morning, I hope. You know, it's just part of your routine. So once it becomes part of the routine, it's not hard to do. So the way we use that simple thought is we take these fundamentals, these behaviors, we roll it out into a company in really interactive, engaged sessions. And then we begin to focus on one fundamental every week through a series of rituals. So, and I'll give you an example in just a second. So week number one, everybody in the company all week long is thinking about working on, focusing on fundamental number one. The week after that, everybody's on number two and three and four, and you just keep cycling through them. So a simple example so that your listeners understand, an example of a ritual. I do this in my company all of our clients do. Every meeting that we have in our company this week, the first agenda item of the meeting is the fundamental of the week. And we spend the first three to five minutes talking about it. What does it mean? How do we practice it? What makes it difficult? Just three, four, five minutes exploring it. So this could be a Zoom meeting. It could be an in-person meeting. Every meeting everywhere in the company this week starts with that being the first agenda item. Next week, every meeting starts with fundamental number two. And the week after that, number three and so on. So we create a number of rituals like that that give us lots of chances all week long to think about work on practice, focus on this week's fundamental. And if we do that, week after week after week, sooner or later, those behaviors become internalized. So in its simplest form, the way that I often describe this, as I say, if you wanna really drive a culture through a company, what you have to do is you've gotta define in really clear terms, the behaviors that drive success in the company. And then you've gotta create a structured, systematic way to teach those behaviors over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And if you do that people will internalize those behaviors it's really that simple and what i've done is just build the whole methodology so that's right. what we did at rsi my right. first company and i've just built a whole toolkit around how to help a company do that which is me, very simple
0: let me ask you how do you or what's the transition period so you've built these rituals you know that the really are kind of replacing your your you know mission vision values whatever yeah. so tell me how often are these reviewed? I mean, it's like, you know, the way you described it, someone like you set the rituals in place, you just repeat them, you know, once a week, every four to eight week cycle or whatever the cycle is. And then you start again and you do the same things over and over and over again. But is there an annual review process? Is there a, every five years we're gonna look and see if these rituals still make sense?
1: Well, um, yes and no. So, so let's make a distinction between reviewing the rituals and reviewing the fundamentals. So the fundamentals, when we work on the set of fundamentals, my language for this is I say to people that we should work on them with what I call an intention of permanence. So what Mm. I mean by that phrasing is that we're gonna put the work into it to really try to nail this with the expectation that this is gonna last forever. And we're not gonna change these. it's an intention, so we, we reserve the right to change it if something comes up, but we're not every three or five years reviewing our fundamentals to see what we want to change. These are enduring documents, enduring principles. And what would change in our marketplace that would have me say, that honoring commitment stuff, way outdated, we don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> we got to start blaming more people in our, we could blame more people, we we'll would be more successful. It's a new blame world. The, blame the person so, decades. <laughs> exactly. So these are these are enduring principles that yeah. that are they're universal. Right. So it's not like you're not allowed to, but we're not go- we're going into it expecting that these are gonna last forever. Now, the rituals we practice, we can change those anytime. So, you know, if you find it's not working as well do some different things. And most companies do a variety of rituals. There's a mobile app that I created about a year ago that creates all kinds of ways that companies and employees engage in their fundamental Mm -hmm. every single day. So we're always creating new ideas and our clients do new things for how do we practice it? What stays the same is this week we're on number one, next week we're on number, that cycle stays the same, but you could do any number of different things to, to work on it.
0: So how did these how do these integrate with like goals, like annual goals or or whatever? Is there any overlap or is this kind of the foundational principles of the company? And then the goals are, are maybe the things that are adaptable on an annual basis or that type yeah, of thing.
1: Yeah, I think of it more the latter, Kevin. That 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 this is the foundation of how we operate as a company. Right. Whatever our goals are, those are those are strategic in the sense mm-hmm. that. Where are we trying to go? What's our marketplace condition? What new things are we trying to do? And and I would say that it really is the foundation because whatever those goals are, you're gonna go a lot further with them if you've got the right culture. And and, uh, a lot of your listeners have probably read or heard Patrick Lencioni um, and, and in some of his books, he talks about what he calls the multiplier effect, that for whatever given level of product service strategy you have, you're going to go three, four, five, ten 10 times as far if you've got a highly functioning group of people mm-hmm. driving that strategy mm-hmm. or that product or service, and you're going to go a fraction as far if you've got a screwed up dysfunctional right. group of people. Right. I was going to so, say, and
0: vice versa. Exactly. <laughs> it exactly is. Right. And so
1: it is really, the. I think, of the culture. It's the foundation that enables your people to put in place and execute upon whatever the strategy is.
0: So... I, I want to push back on you just a little sure. bit about this, the idea of, of uh, the fundamentals, and this this even goes sure. back to our pre-chat before we before yeah. we I hit the button, you know, yeah. where you said you said you know this was kind of the value system that, or the the um, um, what you say? the culture that that you mm-hmm. instilled in your initial company, but I would I would venture to bet that this actually was instilled in you as an athlete at a young age just mm-hmm. the whole foundational idea of fundamentals. I mean, I think back of the old Green Bay Packer football yeah. team in the 60s, you know. They yeah. they had like four plays. <laughs> they ran, yeah. but they were going to beat you at those four plays because they yeah. ran them so well. Yeah. And it, it, that that's as you were describing this. It was like the idea that we are going to execute yes, so well that you know, and everyone is going to be on the same Page. We're going to be running and the same And that's exactly client. right.
1: There's, I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. I would agree with that, that they One of the things that I hear sometimes, so one of the questions we get from clients is we'll help them develop their fundamentals, and they'll ask the question, well, I don't know if these feel that unique. And I say to them, they're not. Because <laughs> if you look at what makes great people successful and great companies successful, the, the way that I describe this, as I say, it's it's right in line with what you just said, is I say that the great ones do, they don't do anything so unusual. They do what I call ordinary things with extraordinary consistency, mm-hmm. to use the football term. They do the yep. blocking and tackling better than everybody else. Yep. It, this, it's, you know, we should honor our commitments. That's a novel concept. Gee, do what you say you're going to do. Hey, that, <laughs> that's, this isn't like some big secret, right. but most companies suck at it. Yep. So, you know, if, if we were 20% better at making sure that every time somebody said, I got this, you knew with absolute certainty it was going to be done, how much more effective would the company right. be?
0: Right. You know, I mean, I, just, I love that. Yeah. I I was literally watching, um, just had had the kind of TV on in the background about an hour ago, and there was this commercial that came on, and it was a call center and they were getting, receiving inbound calls into their like complaint center. And they were picking up the phones and putting them back down. And they, the manager of the, of the call center was going an unanswered call is not a complaint. <laughs> you know, So I'm thinking, you know, how, how poor companies are sometimes at, yes. at execution. But I, exactly. as I was looking at, at you know, some of the seminars that you had done and just kind of looking back at, at your history through your website. And, and I mean, like like I said earlier, that you got a, an unbelievable, you know, record of testimonials on that website. I mean, if anybody, I, I encourage everybody to go to culturewise.com and just look at the number of clients that have given video testimonials. But how do you, I mean, I, I've been in the business world for a very long time as well. I mean, I have been to an innumerable number of seminars and sessions and strategy plans and Franklin planner stuff and Covey and Lencioni, just almost ad nauseum productivity, that type of thing. So how do you get companies to move from information to application? And I mean, you have to be pretty effective at this because otherwise companies would just stop calling because that that would have a very short shelf life. You know, companies, we bought a program, we didn't do it. You know, I I wouldn't recommend it to anybody else because it it didn't have any impact on our company. So you obviously have, you know, kind of found a a secret here. So how do you get companies to actually do
1: that? Yeah, that's a great question. So so I, I would answer that in two ways, Kevin. The first thing I'd say is, that when I, when I do all these workshops that I do or when people read my books, what strikes the most and what I hear the most from people is they say, finally, somebody has like lifted the veil and made this stuff clear instead of a bunch of BS. Mm. And, and it's the clarity and the simplicity of what I teach that causes people to say, oh, that makes sense. How come I never thought about it like that before? Right. So the first part of the answer is, what I teach is so logical and so practical that it just makes sense to people. Um, and that's what causes them to, to love to do it. The second piece of this, which is related is that, and I think a lot of this comes because because I, I was and am a CEO as opposed to thinking of myself as a consultant, Right. Um, I come at everything from a very practical standpoint. Mm-hmm. That my view is, if it's not practical, it's not going to work it's got to be simple. It's got to be easy to implement. It's got to be easy to sustain or it's not going to work. It doesn't matter how brilliant it sounds that if it's complicated, it's just not going to last. And so everything I do, I look at through that lens. So when I look at how we bring companies through this, I mean, I've broken it down to a very specific process. In fact, you know the, the product that we call our product culture-wise, that the system that we use. And and I say to our people and to the world, our team, we are not culture consultants, we are implementers of the culture-wise system. And the culture-wise system works for about 98% of all companies. But if you want something else, you probably should talk to somebody else. Right. Because this is what we do. Right. And we've got it down to a science. So we've broken. And we're going to run those four
0: plays really well. <laughs>
1: that's 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 that, I think that's a great way of thinking it. In yeah. fact, I've broken it down to four steps. There are four <laughs> steps to doing this. It's the four plays. And if you, these are the four steps, these are the four plays that the Green Bay Packers run, and we know exactly how to do it. And we've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, yeah, and it works sleep. and it's effective. And so we will take you to the promised land and we'll implement. And so keeping it simple is yeah. key.
0: How do you, how do you overcome the almost the, um the numbness of repetitiveness mm-hmm. so like you've got people in your company they know that the first three to five minutes of the of each meeting is going to be this fundamental we're talking about or whatever how do you keep people from literally just oh yeah we're, well this is just another we just got to tick the box here so we can make david yeah. happy you know with in, in meetings okay we we did our three minutes so now next you know yeah
1: how do you get that's, yeah that, that's a great them? question yeah And I would say that's probably the question that our existing clients ask the most. Okay, we've been doing this for a year, two years, three years, four Mm -hmm. years. How do we keep it from becoming stale and kind of losing the, the emphasis of that? And so there's two parts to that answer. The first part is that the most important way to keep it from becoming stale and meaningless is to create interaction or engagement. So in other words, if we're kicking off that meeting, if I stand up and I read the fundamental, or lecture about it, it's likely to start going in one ear and out the other. If I ask questions of people to engage them in a thoughtful dialogue, now your brain is participating, you're engaged, you're thinking, mm-hmm. you're, you're participating, now it stays more alive. Right. So everywhere we can in our, in our rituals, we want to look for opportunities to create interaction and engagement versus one-way communications.
0: And that's an expectation uh, of people that are coming to the meeting that they will engage with this three to five yeah. minutes, or is it like kind of, okay, John, you're, you're Shelly, you, you lead the, the, the fundamental well, this week. It's, or John, it's you do both.
1: This- and I would say companies do this at varying. I mean, they all do that ritual. Some of them mm-hmm. do it better than others. Right. And, and so we give them a lot of coaching about best practices for how to lead a fundamental because a, a fundamental, of the week discussion, if they don't know how to do it, it's still fine, but it's not as robust as if you have somebody who knows how to engage the audience. Right, um, right. And so learning how to do that is helpful, um, not required, but better. Um, so so the first thing is is make it interactive. Yep. The second ans- part of the answer to your question, though, is to some extent, it doesn't matter. And what I mean by that is that you know, th- th- there's a couple of analogies I sometimes use on this question. And, and my first analogy is I'll say to people, you know, do you think when Michael Jordan uh, won his first championship he stopped practicing free throws? No, it's just what you do. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the routine. And, and so it's nice if you can mix it up, but I never want people to think unless we find lots of ways to mix it up, this will never work. No, it's just what we do around here. Right. Or, or another analogy sometimes that I use to think of it is like, we all know that we get up in the morning, we brush our teeth. Do you sit there and say, you know what? I think today I'm going to do it standing on one foot because I'm getting kind of bored the way I've been brushing my teeth. So I got to find a new way to do it. Mm. And so that's okay. There's, there's some value to just consistency. It doesn't have to all be changed. And so I try to remind people that when they get into this trap of thinking, well, it might get stale. You know what? It's what we do around here.
0: Right, right. But I mean, uh, you've got to be a little more creative than that when you're responding to clients that are saying, how do we, how do we keep this from uh, you know, getting boring or whatever? You probably don't turn to them, hey, it's just what we do.
1: Well, to, to some degree, I mean, I, I give them the same two answers I just gave you. Here are some things you can do, but yeah. I do say to them, I don't want you to get into the trap of thinking yeah. unless we can find lots of different ways this won't work. Right. No, there's value right. in consistency.
0: Right. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I I uh, I want to give you um, some kudos here. I have I've interviewed people for you know every week for about three years, and I am struggling to remember a guest that I think had their product down as well as you do. Every well, question it. I've asked you, you've had a good answer for. And you're th- even if it's even if you say, Kevin, that was a good question. You're you're like, but I here's the answer. Because we've actually crossed that bridge before, you know. Every every bridge we have bridge crossed, you, we have you, crossed you, most bridges. I was going to say we yes. have already kind of set that stage. So well, yeah, um, and I, and that I appreciate that. confidence. And,
1: yeah, I appreciate yeah. that, and and it's that I have probably because I created all of this stuff. Hmm. So the, you know, I've birthed this, and I've written three books on it, and I've given five hundred workshops on right. it, and worked with hundreds of clients, and so it just works. Mm -hmm. But I I know the kinds of challenges that people face. And they're, you know, real challenges, but we know how to work with them, right? It just works. So let's, uh, let's step
0: into 2020. And, uh, you know, how, I mean, the companies that you're dealing with, I mean, obviously, most everything went virtual. And I'm assuming that before that majority of your work was probably done on site. That's correct. um, And, and, you know, maybe small groups or larger presentations or whatever. Mm -hmm. But how do were companies reluctant to move to a virtual form of this and did it affect your pricing structure? Did it, did it affect, I mean, what impact did it have on your business? And then how did you kind of walk companies through this process, you know, with, you know, through culture wise?
1: Yeah, it did certainly affect us. So I would say in the, second quarter of 2020 when everybody was like in panic mode yep. oh my god what are we going to do Right. everybody just like everything shut down and people initiatives that they were getting ready to launch time out everything's on yep. hold we just got to deal with this so everything we'll pause
0: stopped. button yeah
1: once we got into the third quarter and people started to realize all right you know what life goes on we're going to st- we'll just do everything virtually we started to do most of what we do virtually mm-hmm. and so the the process that we take them through you know, as a leadership team is now almost always done virtually. Mm-hmm. The what we call the rollouts, where it gets introduced to all the employees, which used to be in person, that's all become 90% virtual. Right. And what I would say, and thankfully with Zoom, you know, it's pretty easy to do, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you can use breakout groups to break them into small groups and make mm-hmm. it really interactive. And so we found that it's actually really effective virtually. Right. Right. And so I mean, I, I, the way that I sometimes say it to a client is if we can be there in person, that's the best way to do it. But Mm -hmm. if I were to say, if I were to compare the virtual process to the in-person process on a one to 10 scale with 10, meaning virtual is exactly the same, just as good as in person, I would say it's an eight, eight and a half. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's a three. It's it's not the same, but it's really good. And in some cases, what we've discovered is in some cases, it's actually better logistically. So you have a company that has, you know, six locations with people. You can mix and match people from all different locations. Um, And so, or they've got the traveling salespeople. So even when before the pandemic, they've got their, you know, corporate staff and they got 30 traveling salespeople around the country. You know what? We can do all this all remotely. So there are yep. times where doing it remotely is actually better. Right. Um, logistically. Right. So we've just learned that we can do it remotely and do it very effectively. So I think as we come out of the pandemic eventually, I think what we'll see is we will continue to do a lot of them mm-hmm. remotely. There are well, times. How many
0: companies are going to a blended, you know, I think so workforce Absolutely. or remote, yeah. completely
1: workforce. Uh, I think so for sure. Right. Now there's some, you know, if you've got a manufacturing company. Right. You know they kind of need to be in the plan to do that yeah. we need to be physically there with yeah. them because they're not really on computers right but but we will do a lot we will i think if i were to predict a year from now and say what percentage of our work are we doing virtually i would be willing to bet that we're probably doing more than half of our work virtually
0: well that that would be i mean now, right now, that's not a shift because right. almost everyone's still working, you know, in a yes. remote
1: setting or whatever. But
0: once, like you said, once we go back, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I hear all everything all over the horizon about that prediction mm-hmm. because there are still so many of those old mainline companies that are like going, mm-hmm. how do we keep an eye on our people if they're not sitting yeah. here at their desk, yeah. you know? And I'm like, well, then you didn't hire the right people. If you can't trust yes. them, you, then you didn't hire the right people. Yes. So you know, you're just going to have to you know wake up and boomer and like we are you know yes. it, it was really funny you mentioned something really early about you know you you kind of dated yourself yep. and you were like well you you spoke and almost that you said well we did it this way back then and i'm thinking buddy i'm older than you are so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i know exactly what you're talking about yeah. so that, yeah that was uh it, it's interesting. I, I do think I'm like a millennial, you know, trapped in a boomer suit. So it's It's interesting to kind of see that perspective. But yeah. as we, you know, I, there are so many ways I can, I can, uh, I can just keep you here, you know, and continue to ask you questions. And you know, you wouldn't get to go home at night. But um, what have we not touched on that, that you just would like to wrap us up with today that, you know, kind of tie a neat little bow around this and then just tell people where the best place to find you.
1: Yeah. So uh, I would say, If I were to tie a nice bow around it, I'll I'll do sort of two bows around this. So um, the first bow I would put around this is a broader one than just this topic. And it's that one of my, it it relates to what we've been saying, but one of my pet peeves is I hate secrets. (laughs) When you hear book titles and and business people talk about the three secrets to this and the five Mm -hmm. secrets to that, the implication that there are secrets that only certain people know, and maybe on this podcast, I'll reveal one of those secrets. Oh, I hate that. Because it's the, the, the implication that that's why you haven't had the success you want because you didn't know the secret. And if I share the secret, it would all become easy. God, that's so terrible. And so I don't even, when I see titles like that, it just turns me off. Because I, what I have found is that virtually everything I've ever learned that I thought was significant after I learned it, it's like, this is not rocket science. That what it takes to be successful is not some mystery. You just gotta (laughs) do it. I was reading a a blog by an author a few months ago and it just struck a chord in me and he was talking about how to write a book. And he said, you know, he's written a number of books. I've written three of them. And he was saying that he gets people writing into him saying, you know, how do you do that? I wish I could write a book. And his, his blog was about, you know how you write a book? You sit down and you write every day. And when you're done, you got a book, but it's like, this isn't some big secret you do it. And so sometimes people are looking for some mysterious secrets and there aren't any. And it goes back to what we were talking about before Mm. with the green Bay Packers and the four plays. This isn't that complicated. You do some pretty simple things and it works. So when it comes to culture, my point of view and experience, and I think it's why this material resonates with leaders it's because I break it down. This isn't complicated, you know? It's, it, when you break it all down, I say it this way. So here's my tying it in a bow for you. If you want to get any group of human beings to behave in some consistent manner, whether that group of human beings is called your kids or the athletes of the team you're coaching or your church congregation or your company, doesn't it make logical sense that you would dramatically improve the probabilities of success. And that's all we're we're just stacking the odds in our favor. Humans are humans, they do weird things, we don't control them, but we're stacking the odds heavily in our favor. If number one, we were crystal clear about exactly what we wanted from them, except we're usually not. We're just annoyed that they're not being how we want them to be. Or we have these vague values and we think that tells them something. And number two, wouldn't we further dramatically improve the probabilities of success. If we not only were clear about what we wanted, but we had a structured, systematic way to teach those behaviors over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again. Wouldn't that dramatically improve the chances of success? That's just makes sense. That's all I've done. Is and that, that folks, is your elevator sense. pitch.
0: Or it is culture-wise, it is. in the system that david, david David's company teaches. So, David, where That's where's the best place to, to find you online?
1: Yeah, best place to find me online is culturewise. So, the word culture, and then w i s e culturewise.com is our website. My email address is david at culturewise.com, and you can find my books online um, on on Amazon. Uh, so the books are fundamentally different and then culture by design. And then the new version, I just released the second edition of culture by design, which is really the how to, and all of that's on Amazon and it's in hardcover, softcover paper, I mean, ebook and also the audiobook. And I do the audiobook book. Okay. Too.
0: Well, if you'll send me those links, I'll make sure that they get in the show notes. They're, and, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's not that difficult to, to look up culture wise and, and to, yes. tell me the book, book title again. Culture by Design Culture by Design on Amazon yes. and and you'll exactly. certainly be able to find And look
1: different- I mean both editions are great but the newer edition what I added in the second edition that just came out is the remote workforce. So I just took all of the new all the material that I'd written in the previous book and adapted it for so how does this apply with remote workforce. Right. So when you look it up you'll see both versions but you probably want the second edition. They're the same price but the second edition adds the whole remote workforce aspect to it.
0: What great timing with, uh, you know, coming out of COVID and, and yes. as we're moving into this kind of new normal, new, new normal workforce and how it yes. could apply. So David, I just want to thank you again for taking the time tonight and just to uh, share your story. And, and it's been a pleasure to kind of hear you unpack, you know, something that you know so fundamentally well and that you literally it's more than that it's it's actually part of your dna you can just tell that you know as you as you see and, and hear you interact and but really just i just love the way that you have uh you know kind of taught through you know sharing tonight and really playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide david have a great evening
1: thank you my pleasure kevin